Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, doing this almost in real time to the NBA Draft Lottery. We're not doing a live show. We are recording this. This is a post-lottery reaction show the night of on June 22nd. And Kevin, this was a very interesting draft lottery because of all of the potential subplots as far as protections on picks, where those picks were going to fall, who was going to have control over those picks, if anybody was going to make significant jumps up in the lottery. We didn't have significant jumps this year, but we did have jumps. Nonetheless, the top four picks, um, Detroit and Houston own picks one and two respectively. They both had top four um, odds. Then you had the Cleveland Cavaliers jumping up to number three, and you had the Toronto Raptors jumping up to number four. The rest of the lottery is as follows. We have the Orlando Magic picking five, the Oklahoma City Thunder picking number six, the Golden State Warriors picking number seven, the Orlando Magic picking number eight again. So they have two top eight picks, the Sacramento Kings at number nine, the New Orleans Pelicans at number 10, Charlotte Hornets at 11, San Antonio Spurs at 12, Indiana Pacers at 13, and then you have the Warriors picking at 14, rounding that out. So a few of those teams have multiple picks because of traded protections on said picks. Um, some of those did convey the Warriors were able to get Minnesota's pick conveyed to them. Um, Orlando has a second pick as well. So there are multiple different things in play here in the lottery. But what's interesting to me is Detroit gets the number one overall pick. And I was saying this off the air to a few people in a different Facebook group chat that I'm a part of that I didn't know if the league was ready for the Detroit Pistons to get the number one overall pick and get a franchise changing player like Kate Cunningham as we expect him to go number one overall to the Pistons. And his fit with that team could be incredibly intriguing. I was sharing this to Kevin right before we hopped on the air. You can play him and Killian Hayes next to each other. So you can have a really big backcourt um, to, to, to start with. Kate Cunningham being 6'8". You can still keep Killian Hayes at that point guard position at 6'5". Cade can fit virtually anywhere in the lineup. One through three can possibly even play up to the four spot in time as he gets more experience, adds more to his body in the NBA. Um, but if you have those two as a backcourt, you can still play Sadiq Bey, um, at the small forward spot, you have Jeremy Grant at that power forward spot. And then you would think, given Isaiah Stewart's promising play this year as a rookie, next year he will move into that starting spot. So you pretty much have an entire lineup who's 6'5 or bigger, plenty of positional size to go around, defensive versatility. That, that's one of the things I've talked about with Cade Cunningham before. It's not just his offensive skills package. It's also how cerebral he can be as a defender, someone you can move around, someone who can defend multiple positions. Um, he's a competitive, fiery guy. I don't think he's going to have any problem playing defense in the NBA. He's not an elite athlete, but he does have good length to him. As I mentioned, very cerebral, understands the game at a high level, can make the right reads defensively. Uh, we, we know that Sadiq Bey comes from Villanova. He played not, not the strongest defense this year, but he definitely improved as the year went on. Isaiah Stewart, defense, and, and, and his work on the boards is definitely a calling card to his. We knew that Jeremy Grant was a versatile defensive player, um, and whatever you can get from Killian Hayes at 6'5", at the point of attack, 
Um, uh, again, a lot of teams don't necessarily expect their point guards to be lockdown defenders. So if you have your bases covered virtually everywhere else, um, and, and you have a team of players who wants to communicate and work together defensively, then you have the makings of something. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how they all fit offensively, um, especially whether Killian and Cade can work in the same backcourt together from a shooting perspective. But obviously, that is going to be incredibly intriguing as we move into the offseason and then to next season, the moves that Detroit makes around that core as well. They have like a really solid young core. Um, with with a veteran player leading the way on a good contract in Jeremy Grant. So obviously Detroit, huge winners tonight. Houston lands that second overall pick. You have to figure that they're likely going to draft Evan Mobley, who can be a really in, in, intriguing front court partner with Christian Wood. You can pair both of those together at the four and the five. Jay Sean Tate played really well at the three this year. You also have Daniel House backing him up. And then in the backcourt, you have Kevin Porter Jr., who at times looked like a mini James Harden this year. Some of his play was absolutely fantastic. So you give him multiple, not only pick-and-roll partners, but also pick-and-pop partners. Um, if they do end up drafting Evan Mobley, you have to figure that you know hit both Mobley and Wood can stretch the floor. They're going to be able to shoot the NBA three-ball. We know that Wood can, but Evan Mobley will be able to shoot it, if not right away in his rookie year, definitely in time. So Houston also being big winners from this lottery, they're going to have um, two to three really good building blocks. And then you have some of those younger players that are under contract, like I mentioned, and I'm sure that they'll find creative ways to fill out the rest of their roster as well, both later in the draft, as well as free agency. Um, Cleveland has more lottery luck. They end up with a top three overall pick. You would think that they're going to go with Jalen Green. He's a much better fit on the wing. I've talked about on this podcast before. I actually think he can play up to the three. So if Cleveland wants to stick with that smaller backcourt with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, adding Green at that three spot doesn't necessarily bring a lockdown defender on the wing, but you do have Isaac Okoro still who can play up to the four spot. And then you have Jared Allen manning the paint at the five. So you do at least have rim protection on the back end. If some of those other guard defenders are not able to keep their matchup in front of them, if somebody's able to penetrate the defense um, or get somebody caught in a pick and roll, you at least have Jared Allen there as backup. And Isaac Okoro is also a rangy defender as we saw perfectly capable of uh, of blocking a shot coming over from the weak side, can be a legit one-on-one -on -one defender, can switch. Um, so adding Jalen Green's scoring versatility to that lineup, if he would be the pick, um, it, it, it makes the team pop. You have three legitimate scores. Darius Garland really improved this year as not only a shooter, he brought some of his percentages up, but as a scorer in general, we know what Colin Sexton can do. That man just pours the Poor, when it rains, it pours. When we're talking about Colin Sexton's offensive scoring arsenal, he's 20-plus um, points per game scorer now this year, so he's going to be obviously firing at all cylinders. And then Jalen Green, you expect in time. His rookie year, I'd imagine he'd average somewhere. If he gets the touches between like 17, 18 points per game after this year, he's definitely going to be a 20-plus points per game scorer. He is that lethal on the offensive end. So Cleveland has three potential dynamos, should that be the pick, or – they could go another direction. They could go with a Jalen Suggs. They could go with a Jonathan Kuminga um, or maybe even one of the other versatile forwards like a Scotty Barnes. They could potentially mix it up 
at that three spot and make that draft really interesting. They've, they've done that in the past, um, swinging for guys like Deion Waiters and Tristan Thompson. And unfortunately, they swung for Anthony Bennett, number one overall in the 2013 draft. So it's not like they've never swung um, and really reached for a home run with a pick. But I think Jalen Green is too much of a home run to pass up at that three spot. So that's why I think I would project him to go there. The Toronto Raptors were the other team that really made a jump, getting up to that four spot. Um, Kevin and I were literally just talking about this. And Kevin, I'm going to want to get your your thoughts here. I know that you're not the most draft aficionado in, in, from a scouting perspective, but you are up on the league. You've been an excellent partner to talk about the NBA as a whole on this podcast with. And not only are you a Miami guy, but you're also a Toronto Raptors guy who has been following Kyle Lowry with the Raptors since he got there. Um, he, he's going to be on a, an expiring deal, and he may be moved off of, whether that's in a sign-and-trade scenario um, or he just walks away in free agency. But you have to think, if the Raptors were drafting Jalen Suggs, who, in my account, is likely going to be there with the fourth overall pick, I mean, he, he's actually a pretty good fit in the backcourt um, next to Fred Van Vliet, he brings a lot of the things that Kyle Lowry brought to the table for that Raptors franchise for years. So, well, what's your reaction, Kevin, to Toronto jumping up in the lottery? And what, what's your reaction for um, the potential exit of Kyle Lowry should they draft Jalen Suggs? Yeah, I think you hit on the nose. I just, I don't see a way that if they do draft, draft him, I don't think they keep Kyle. It'd be not pointless, let's say, because he'd be a great veteran presence still in the locker room. But he would kind of be just wasting away on the team. I I mean, I would say that I'm more of a Kyle Lowry fan than Toronto, even though I do love Toronto. But I think we definitely will see him on another team next year, unfortunately. Yeah, he, I, I think there is a very strong chance at this point now that, that, that he's going to move on. And it's it's in the Raptors' best interest to to obviously draft somebody like a Jalen Suggs if he's available, but it's not like they're going to fall completely out if they do make the move to, to a younger guard. Like when you're talking about somebody like Suggs, he was to me, the main reason why that Gonzaga team went as far as they did getting to the national championship game. He had plenty of talented players around him, but he was really the engine that made that team go. And you saw that especially come true um, in those later games in the NCAA tournament, the Sweet 16 and on. He was, at times, the only guy who could really get his own shot consistently and make something happen for that team. So it's not like you're losing something if you're the Toronto Raptors bringing Suggs into the fold. Again, if that's the pick, every single pick that we can talk about here, it is theoretical. We have no idea where these teams are ultimately going to go. By draft night, you have no idea how different medicals can work, etc. Some players might rise, some players might fall. We don't know the landscape just yet, but we'll get plenty more intel over the coming weeks as we get to the draft on July 29th. So then you get to Orlando at number five. I feel like the Orlando Magic just keep getting the fourth or a fifth pick in the draft. It's it's unfortunate for a really good um, franchise, a, a, a fun fan base. I won't say one of the best fan bases in the NBA, but a fun fan base nonetheless. Um, they're pretty loaded in the backcourt um, in, in, in a few deals that they made. They do have Gary Harris now at that shooting guard spot. You have multiple 
point guards slash combo guards and Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz when he comes back. You have RJ Hampton there as well. You have a, a legitimate sixth-man score. Shout-out to Terrence Ross, one of, one of Kevin's favorites for sure. Um, so you have a loaded backcourt, and then you have Jonathan Isaac, if he's able to come back from it, from injury. You have Chumo Kiki at that forward spot as well. And then, again, in those trades, you, you brought back Wendell Carter Jr., and then you still have Mo Bamba in the fold as well. We'll see what happens to him if he potentially gets moved in the offseason. But knowing that front office... You have to think that they're going to go with a forward. Um, they 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 love size. They love versatility. If Jonathan Kuminga is there, you think that that's the pick. I wouldn't rule out Scotty Barnes going to the Orlando Magic. I wouldn't rule that out at all because when you talk about rangy playmaking forwards with enough versatility, I mean you have the same general manager for the Orlando Magic that that drafted Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, and went on that huge run with, with that Bucks franchise in terms of trying to bring in as much versatile size as they possibly could. And Wendell Carter, Jonathan Isaac, Scotty Barnes, that might be really, really, really intriguing um, for, for them moving forward. They could go with Jonathan Kuminga, like I said, with that fifth overall pick. But then what do you do with Chumo Kiki? Is, 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 is he not necessarily in the fold? And to, to anybody who watched enough of the Orlando Magic this year, Chumo Kiki played really well for them. Um, he certainly had times where he took over as a scoring threat. His outside shot looks looks significantly improved from, from what it was when he was playing college ball at Auburn. And he made the transition to the NBA again. Last year was his rookie year because he was hurt for what would have been his actual first year in the NBA. So him being able to make an impact immediately for that Orlando Magic team, I have to think that he's going to have some staying power. So, yeah, that's why I wouldn't rule out Scotty Barnes there. Um, and, and then whoever doesn't get drafted between Kuminga and Barnes to Orlando, you have to think that the other guy's going to fall to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who possessed the sixth pick. Um, they're going to be looking for size and versatility up front. They don't necessarily have a center prospect in tow. So, if they view Scotty Barnes as a potential anchor defensively somebody who can bring the ball up and act maybe at times as like a point center if they see him as that type of player he could be a really intriguing pick for them golden state owns the seventh pick they also own the 14th pick we have no idea what the hell they're going to do with those picks you know that golden state wants to still maximize the amount of time that they have left with steph curry clay thompson draymond green could they package those picks along with somebody like andrew wiggins to make a move for another impact player, a veteran to bring into that starting lineup. We have no idea what's going to happen from there. Um, so to me, I think the draft really starts at pick number seven, whether that's Golden State making that pick or whether they move off of that pick. Um, and, and then Orlando has another pick right there at number eight. And then you get into the Kings, the Pelicans, the Hornets, the Spurs, the Pacers, and the Warriors who we will certainly talk about in earnest on this podcast as we do different mock draft scenarios, as we do um, the, our, our draft deeper tiers that we're going to release in the coming weeks as well. We'll get into different lottery scenarios for, for some of those teams. I think those teams are pretty safe to keep their picks. I don't see any of those teams trading out. Uh, unless, again, if Golden State wants to package the 14th pick with a 7th pick or just trade the 14th pick 
Golden State really, to me, is the only team I think is going to make a trade in this lottery. I think a lot of these teams are going to like who they are able to find in the lottery. They're going to want to use those picks. They're not going to trade off of them. This really isn't a year to trade down in the NBA draft. If anything, it's a year to trade up. But I think a lot of the teams who I might have even predicted to make a move to move up in the draft to really shake things up for their team, they ended up getting elevated spots in, in, in the draft anyways. So I, I really think all of these teams are going to keep their picks. One team to keep an eye on, at least for me, I will be really intrigued to see what the New Orleans Pelicans do with the 10th overall pick. Um, they have a very young core in place. They're going to have to make a decision about Alonzo Ball. What do they do? Do they definitely have him in the fold for the long run? Do they look to do some kind of sign and trade deal with him and move him somewhere else? What do they do with Alonzo Ball? That could open up a backcourt spot to bring in another guard if they aren't necessarily thrilled with Kyra Lewis being the, the ultimate guard option for the future, running the point. Maybe they bring in another backcourt mate to maybe pair with Kyra Lewis. Could they go to an intriguing front court piece, maybe? And you you finish building out that front court. Maybe they aren't thrilled with what Jackson Hayes is going to give them long term. Maybe they look to bring somebody in or even bring in a little bit of competition um, for, for him to develop. Both of them obviously would still keep developing behind Steven Adams unless they would move off of his contract as well. Um, you, you have to think they're not going to draft like a three or a four man because you have Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson there. They're both all-star level players. So they're going to be mainstays in that rotation at those spots. I don't really know what direction they're ultimately going to go. I still think that they're a team who could bring in another wing to at the very least have on the bench, depending on who the next coach is for the Pelicans. I mean, Stan Van wasn't always thrilled with Nikhil Alexander-Walker, although even himself, he admitted at times that he just didn't play him enough and that there were certainly positive flashes that he had for that team. I'll be curious to see what happens with Alexander Walker with the next coach. Does he break into the rotation a little more? Um, does Kyra Lewis move into a starting role if Lonzo Ball is moved? But you still could use some depth on the wing. Obviously, everybody's looking for shooting. Um, if they're a team that views themselves as more of this win-now group because they have Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram versus still trying to continue to build out for the future, maybe do they – draft really high on somebody like Corey Kispert. Does Kispert become like a top 10 pick? Because while he doesn't possess significant upside um, in terms of like star equity, he does bring lethal, lethal, lethal shooting at his 6'8 size. Again, 6'8 big bodied shooter. Really compare him to, to Kyle Korver. He's in that same mold. And he could be a very unique weapon to throw in with those other guys, especially whether you have Zion playing this like point guard type role, or maybe you even get into more of those small ball lineups this year with Zion at the five, and then you can still play Kispert and Ingram together. That creates an intriguing front court. So I will be very curious to see what New Orleans does with their pick. Um, and then some of the other teams, the Hornets, I'd imagine they're going to take a big. They're probably going to take best big available. There's a lot of buzz that that, that Kai Jones or Usman Garuba could be really intriguing options there. Um, the San Antonio Spurs are probably just going to be in best player available mode. They have a really filled out backcourt. Matter of fact, as we go through some things in the offseason, I'm sure that 
some of those backcourt pieces likely aren't going to keep extending their stay in San Antonio. They just have too much of a logjam. They can't play everybody. So I would imagine they go with a front court player as well. Indiana, you would expect them to look more on the wing. Again, they have DeMonta Sabonis. Even if they move off of Miles Turner, they're still pretty set in the front court. They still have the Todd's day. So they're probably going to look to draft an, another two, three type wing. So that's just a lot of what I expect from this lottery. These are my first initial, very preliminary reactions. But like I said, we'll have plenty more conversation around these teams as we move forward into the future. Kevin, did anything surprise you besides Toronto or really stand out to you? What, what kind of questions um, might, might you have re regarding this lottery order? No, I think other than uh, Toronto, it's fairly standard. I mean, Cleveland moved up a little bit like they always do, but that's expected because they're Cleveland. Um, I think you brought up a lot of good questions. The, the whole dynamic of where is Lonzo going to land? You brought up with New Orleans. I know I'm a Lonzo stan. You get you give me a lot of <laughs> shit for it, but he's apparently really highly coveted this offseason. I've heard rumor that he the Detroit's gonna want him. I've heard rumor that New York, Miami, there's a lot of these teams that want him, and I think he could actually impact the draft a lot. As weird as that is to say, because I know Lonzo's been disappointing in his career so far, other than this year where he started to play much better. No, he absolutely could. And even if they decide to keep him, they could still make an intriguing pick in the backcourt to pair alongside him. Like you're going to have guys like Davion Mitchell available at some point in the lottery. I know I might not necessarily have him as a lottery level guard, but at this point, given all these projections, he's he's probably going to be taken in the lottery. He might be a really good backcourt addition with Lonzo, especially if Lonzo is playing as engaged in defense as we know he's capable of. You throw Davion Mitchell in the backcourt with him, maybe give him some ball handling point guard type duties and, and let Lonzo continue to evolve off of the ball. But that's a really good backcourt pairing from a defensive perspective. Do they go with size? Do they maybe put another jumbo type playmaker next to Lonzo, like a Josh Giddy? Do they believe that Josh Giddy could be a, a point guard of the future? I think he's more of like a three, four wing type, like a Joe Ingles but maybe I'm wrong in that evaluation. Maybe he's going to be a point guard in the league and you have this supersized backcourt. Somebody like Lonzo Ball at 6'6", Josh Giddy at like 6'9", um, could really give teams problems when you talk about the amount of size that that Pelicans team could, could deploy at, at any given moment. If you had a lineup of like Giddy, Lonzo, Ingram, Zion, Steven Adams, that is an insanely big lineup who could give a lot of teams problems. Um, and then obviously there, there are wild cards like Jalen Johnson, Franz Wagner at the forward positions, um, some intriguing guard prospects to keep an eye on that we've talked about on this podcast before. James Booknight, um, Trey Mann is likely going to be available in those spots as well. Moses Moody, maybe the Pelicans stay young. They go with a shooter like Moses Moody on the wing, who still has upside in his own right because of his age. Um, a lot, a lot of intriguing scenarios can can break out on draft night. And I can't wait to really sit down and prepare for the GM-style mock draft that we're going to do on this show. Um, one last comment I'll make before we part ways on this episode is shout out to Jared Butler. He's arguably my favorite prospect outside of like the top four or five, six consensus guys 
in this draft. Um, he, he, he's going through some things related to his health right now. I hope he gets healthy. I wish him nothing but the best. I really hope that he's cleared to play and that he doesn't slide too far on draft night. Cause if he is healthy, I've said it a bunch of times on this podcast. I really think he has a chance to be a star guard in the league. So we wish you nothing but the best Jared sincerely. Um, but that's going to do it for our initial reaction show. We will certainly be back with a lot more draft content coming. We have the Matt Coleman interview that we were fortunate enough to do. Former Texas point guard is going to be on this podcast speaking with me. That is an interview I'm really looking forward to getting out to everybody. And then as we move to the draft, like I said, I'll have plenty of tier breakdowns when we release our 2021 draft deeper tiers. We're going to do that GM style mock draft with a very special guest who I'm incredibly excited to have on. So definitely look out for that in the coming weeks. And we will do a live NBA draft show of sorts. Don't have all of the details planned out for that just yet, but you can expect draft deeper to be live on draft night because that's what we're all about. I did, we did the live show last year. I had a lot of fun doing it. It was like four hours of straight talking. I was tired at the end of it, but it was certainly worth it to be able to interact with some of you guys um, and, and have some fun conversations about the draft, answer some questions along the way. So be on the lookout for all that information as well. But that's going to do it for us. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Have fun celebrating post lottery. It's draft season, baby. Let's get into it. Let's keep going. Show us support. Follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Subscribe to the podcast. You guys all know the drill by now. Have a wonderful rest of your week.